0: We're turning now again to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. those of you who were here last week will remember that we're looking at this great chapter uh, and the context here is that the children of Israel have crossed the Jordan under the leadership of Joshua and they set up their base camp or their headquarters at a place called Gilgal <coughs> Gilgal was about eight miles long and a couple of miles wide and the couple of million people were gathered in, uh, packed into it, and they were overlooking the fortress of Jericho, mighty fortress, Uh, but before they could advance to take Jericho uh, and open up their way right into the land of Canaan, of milk and honey that God had promised to Abraham, they had things to do. And we saw what they had to do last week. And if you want to get a CD of it or watch it, you'll find out that there was a number of things that was very, was a prerogative for them to do before they could advance. So they've come into the stage now where they're ready to advance in and claim and take their possessions. And we verse 13 of Joshua 5, verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And Joshua did so. And I love that wee phrase at the end, it's very important. The Holy Spirit made sure that that went in. And Joshua did so. May God bless to us the reading of his word. As the two distraught and defeated disciples walked down the road to Emmaus on resurrection day, Mark's gospel and Mark's account, he tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ appeared in another form. The eyes were holding and they didn't know him and they called him a stranger. They said, Art thou a stranger in Israel? Now a few hours before that, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, and she saw him there, the first to see him, and she thought he was in in the form or he came in the form to her as a gardener. In Genesis chapter 18, Abram sat on the tent door. At the heat of the day and he lifted up his eyes and beheld and he saw the dust rising and he ran to meet the same very Christ in a pre-incarnate being. And Abram thought he was a traveler passing on the journey because they got him a meal and those that were with him water. So the two on the road to Emmaus thought the Lord Jesus was a stranger. Mary thought he was the gardener. Abram thought he was the traveler, a traveler. Hagar, as we looked at one night not so long ago, he came in the form of the savior. He came to Jacob in the form of a wrestler. He came to Elijah in the form of a provider. And he came to Joshua here in the form of a soldier, commander, the captain of the army of hosts. So I want you to think of that tonight. The pre-incarnate, some of the pre-incarnate appearances of the Savior, he came in other forms. Sometimes the Lord comes to us in other forms. And many times we don't know. Many times, and as the angels come round his people and the children, and many times we don't know, and sometimes after on, afterwards we do know, but whether we know or not, he can come in another form. He can come in the form of sickness. He can come in the form of an accident. He can come in forms that you would never think that it's him. None of these ones thought it. But he was there in another form. But it would be amiss of me to go on to do what I'm going to do tonight, to say that the greatest of all and the most mysterious and miraculous of all was not a pre-incarnate experience our appearance, it was an incarnate experience as the baby. Unto us a child is born. Came as a baby spans length to Bethlehem's manger. Now the great physician, the one that we are dealing with these lights in the the valleys, the great physician remembers our frame and he knows that we are dust. And he diagnoses every ailment different. And therefore he prescribes the medicine different. Because medicine has to be prescribed according to the need. Hagar, the pregnant, shamefully abused, single mother on the run going down into Egypt, didn't need any more jags of the sword. She had been wounded enough in the house of her friends. Elijah, on the verge of suicide under the juniper tree, didn't need a jag of the sword. Maybe if I would have been there, I might have said, get up and go and start praying again. But that's not what he needed. But the Lord knew what he needed. He he needed love and he needed food and, and he needed compassion. And as as the children of Israel faced faced the, these massive walls of Jericho and the mighty embedded Canaanites that were in behind the walls and the seven hostile nations that were behind that again, they needed something they needed something differently, because you see that these nations were obstructing the egress and the progress of the children of Israel to obtain obtain their possessions. They were preventing, if Jericho could could be moving the Canaanites and the walls down there, it'll open up into the rest of the battlefield. They had to come out of the way first. So they were preventing the entrance in. And the only answer, the only cure, the only answer that the Lord has for these people is the sword. That's why he came with a sword drawn in his hand. It's the sword. You can't compromise or do deals with this enemy. I wish to God we would learn that. I wish to God our politicians would have learned it years ago. You can't deal gently with this enemy. So what's needed for this enemy is the sword, its fight, its battle in order to dislodge them. Can I say this? That any notion that any of us have about Canaan being heaven then we need to forget it right away. And when we sing those hymns, and I try not to sing them, because Canaan is not heaven. We need to forget that. It is a battle. And we know in our Christian life, once we get out of Egypt, and once we get out of the wilderness, and once we get over into into Canaan's land, and once we get over into the battle of life, my friend, it's a battle all the way. There's many enemies to face. It's a battle all the way until the strongholds are taken down. And the enemy has so many strongholds in her life. And so we as the children of God must fight and wrestle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And he has given us the weapons to do that. And we need to make sure that we, that we keep in battle, Keep fighting. Because there was no victory given here until David wiped out the Jebusites and took over Jerusalem. There was no victory given here till he held the ark up in Jerusalem and until Solomon took the land. And mind Solomon took most of all the land. And if we are going to enter into what God has for us, and if we are going to possess our possessions... And if we're going to take the spiritual corn and the milk and the wine and the honey and the victory and the blessing that we're supposed to have and should have as we journey towards heaven, my friend, we have to fight for it. If we're going to raise the banner that we're hearing about, the banner of truth, and raise it and hold it high, we have to march in behind it and face the enemy. The battle lines are drawn here. Gilgal faces... Jericho, light faces darkness, good faces evil. The world, the flesh, and the devil is a threefold enemy of the people of God. And we all know that, and we should know it. And see, so, so many young people or other people come to the Lord, and they put up their hand, and they get saved, and well saved. Some of them, there's no doubt about it. But when they get into the in a wee bit, and the battle comes, they're not able for it. So tonight I want to make sure that we get victory as we look at this story. Victory in the valley. The world, the flesh and the devil. The world is the external foe. The flesh is the internal foe. The devil is is the infernal foe. Those are the foes that we must face and we must face them and we must realize that every day it is a battle to maintain and sustain our Christian life and to march on in to what God has for us day by day. You see, if the devil can't drive them back over the Jordan, and he can't do that, and if he can't drive them back into the wilderness, and he can't do that, and if he can't drive them back into Egypt, and he certainly can't do that, he'll keep them shut up in Gilgal. He'll keep them where we were looking at last, last Sunday he'll keep them at the passover he'll keep them breaking the bread and he'll keep them singing the hymns and he'll keep the whole thing going on as long as they don't try to take territory. Now hear what I'm saying tonight as long as we don't as long as we don't move into he doesn't mind. Them sitting on, in the seats in the church and singing and breaking bread. The devil doesn't mind that very much. It's when we become a threat to him. It was when these people started to go around the walls that they began to be alerted. But once they stayed in Gilgal, and the devil keeps so many of his people just in Gilgal, yes, they're saved and they're over and they're into the land. Thank God for that, and that's powerful and that's mighty. But once we advance on the enemy territory, that's a different story altogether. And those things are good, and all those things, evangelism and all, is all good, and everything that we do is good. But my friend, when we, when we go out to do that, we're in the battle. We're in the battle. As long as the, the, these crowd, these seven armies that have to be rooted out of Canaan, as long as they can hold on to the corn and the wine and the oil and the, and the vineyards and the, and the water and the wells and all that, that's all they want. But when we come in to take what we should have and what belongs to us, you'll know whether there's an enemy or not then. When we were over in the Isle of Lewis, Pat and many years ago, we spent a couple of wonderful days with Caldwell Dara's father in law, Paddy, who was saved in the revival and we met many people that were saved in that revival 30 years ago. And old Paddy said to me one night at the house meeting, or dawn to one or two o'clock in the morning, we were taking a cup of tea, but old Paddy said to me, he says, always remember this. He says, you remember when Paul was hitting the storm in the Adriatic? And they were shipwrecked and they landed on the island of Malta. It was winter time. It was raining and it was cold. And they went out to gather sticks to light a fire to keep themselves warm. And Paul gathered a stick or a bundle of sticks. And he brought the sticks in and he, Paul uh, was like the rest of the men. He was doing his bit. He was, lead, lead, he, was, he was a leader. Joshua was a leader here. He wasn't sitting back when the other men were doing the work for him. But anyway, he gathered these bundles of sticks and he brought them in and he put them in the fire. And as soon as he hit the, hit the fire, a viper came out and rested on his arm. And all, all those pagans around him thought he should have died because a vapor hit him on the arm. But old Paddy said this. He says that old viper would have been lying in that wood for wood for weeks and maybe months. And it was comfortable enough and it was warm enough and it was eating and it was getting on and it was getting on the bed. But once a bit of fire got round him, see what he was saying? Once a bit of heat got round him, he was roused. And once we go into the devil's territory, we arouse him, and we will arouse him when we're going over into the school this week that's coming, and you remember that we will arouse the devil to so watch your back. Because we're of what they did to the Nazi and this Bolshevik, there's not many really things taking on and advertising what we're going to do in the next couple of weeks. And we need men to believe that God is able and God is going to revive and He's going to do a new thing. And we need not to be pushed back or lectured by the devil. So once the fire got round, once the, once, the, once the fire got round this boy and he got discomforted, he, he jumped out. And who did he light on? He lit on Paul. He lit on his hand. And the devil always strike the hand. a hand speaks of work. And boy, if he can speak, hey, he can hit the elders here and he can hit the leaders here. I'll tell you, he'll hit them. Now, before I go on to show you how Joshua and his people got the victory and how we can get it, I want to apply this scene a moment evangelically. Because remember this, Joshua and the great army had the promises from God that they would have victory and blessing. And the land was a gift to them. It was a gift. And if you look at chapter 6 and verse 2, you'll see this. And the Lord said unto Joshua, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. These were no Mickey Mouse boys, boy scouts that are in behind this wall, let me tell you. The mighty men of valor. But he says, I have given it into your hand. It was a gift from God. The land was a gift from God. But even though it was a gift from God, they still had to fight for it. Boy, there's so much in this. So much. Remember the promises that he had? Let me tell you some of the promises that Joshua had. Be strong and of good courage. Go in and possess it. Be not afraid. I will not fail thee. I will not forsake thee. These were promises. Promises that God would give the land into His hand. Friend, always be thankful for the things that God gives into your hand. Don't you forget the things that God gives into our hands day by day, week by week, year by year. He says, I'll give this place into your hand. You just claim the promises. You see, he had all these promises of God and far more. And now he has the presence of God. The Lord himself is with him. The pre-incarnate Christ is standing beside him. He has the presence of God. He has the promise of God. He has the power of God. He has the sword in his hand. The quick and powerful, sharp, two-edged sword. We have this sword tonight, and it's powerful. Oh, my, how many of God's people have backed off. And they've lost the promise. They've forgot the promises. And they know little about the presence. And less about the power. Very sad today that our evangelical church is a bit like this, powerless. Like the fellow with the axe head in Elisha borrowed the axe, he was whacking at it and the head come off it and went into the Jordan. He would have whacked away a time or two, he'd have been a busy boy, he'd been whacked away once or twice anyway without the head on it, but there was No power. No power. You see, we try to accommodate, and we try to placate, and we try to capitulate to the enemy that's out there, and it doesn't work. And the gospel sword is sheathed, and the commander and the captain has turned his back. And alas, our house is left unto us, desolate. Our Jerichos, you know, must be a laugh. They must laugh at the modern day, Jerichos must laugh at the modern day church. You see, there's a kind that only comes forth with prayer and fasting. We, We know that from the Lord's word. Let me see what A.W. Pink says about the Canaanites. and Those are the ones that were behind the wall. Thousands of them. These were the ones that were blocking the path right into victory. What do you hear what A.W. Pink says about the Canaanites? He says they were infested with demonology. Wicked spirits. Witchcraft. Necrimony. Calling up the dead. Diviners and Charms. The only language for the devil, my friend, is the sword. The only language for these boys, and the only language for the enemy out there tonight, is the power of the gospel and the sword of the gospel and the power of the word of God preached in power. Otherwise, we'll never dislodge the enemy. We had a taste of this here on Sunday night. So those of you who know know that the number of people come in on Sunday night and uh, didn't upset the meeting at all, but they were great need. They were in great need. And Eric Stewart and I brought two of them up to the back They wanted to talk to us. One fellow very close to the kingdom. But there's another man and he said that he was possessed with demons. So I didn't know whether he was true or whether he wasn't, but we I stood up in the middle of them and I read the scriptures and I prayed. When I was praying, this boy let oaths co- and curses out of him that I hardly ever heard. He was rightly he had demons in the boy. Now we prayed with him and we talked to him and we'd done our best with him, but we didn't dislodge the demons. Whether that is a failure on our behalf or whether it's not, I don't know. But that's what we were up against in there on Sunday night. This kind this kind only comes forth with prayer and fasting, Jesus said. So don't you be fooling about with demons if you're not in a playing ground with God. That's all I say to you. There's, a word, evangelical, there's an ev- a word for the evangelical church here that we need to make sure that we go into battle with the word, with the sword, with the blood, with the cross. But there's also a word prophetically here for the nations of Israel. The drawn sword will always be the answer to Israel's enemies. And I'm glad to hear, and I believe it's going to be true, that Netanyahu is getting in again in Israel. I'm glad to hear that. Because if Jericho, the Jericho and the West Bank, and that's going to be taken, it'll not be taken only by the sword. They'll never drive out, you'll never drive out these sworn enemies of Israel any other way. It has to fight. These Palestinians are the descendants of this coalition of seven nations. And the only language they know is the language of the sword. But they're going to be wiped out and the Lord's going to come back and the Lord's going to take the land and the Lord's going to capture them and he's going to destroy them at Armageddon. The plaudits and the plundits, the plaudits and the platitudes and the peace agreements haven't worked with and won't work with them. 1978, the Camp David peace agreement failed. 1979, Ansar Sadat from Egypt assassinated him. 1993, the Oslo agreement with Prime Minister Rabin. Peace, peace, when there was no peace. There's no peace agreements, no peace talks these days, and there hasn't been for years because you can't speak peace to them men, them people, them people are enemies of God and they'll have to be destroyed. The sword, the sword. Romans 13 is the place for the sword, my friend. Now watch how victory is going to be won here. Or verse 13, could I say something else? Our weak government has sheaved the sword. sword. sheathed the sword. And alas, uh, we're in the trouble that we're in tonight. But watch how victory come here in verse 13.
1: And the children...
0: That's when Joshua was by Jericho. Now let me say, first of all, I see Joshua here as a balanced man. Balanced men. We need balanced doctrine today. We need balanced Christians today. He was a balanced man because he had the promises that God was going to do it. He had the promises that God had given to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob that he was going to give them the land. He was going to deliver it into his hand. But he realized that he and his people had a part to play too. He didn't just sit in Gilgal and say, Lord, you say that you just do it now. We'll wait till you do it. Come on, Lord, now we're sitting on the promises. We're claiming the promises. You do it. You know, some of us have promises. And I know that some of you here tonight and listen to me have promises for your family and promises for different things. But you know, you have to keep going with them. You have to keep claiming them. And you have to keep expecting them. Some of us have promises for revival. then if we believe that God was going to revive, and I do believe that he's going to revive Ireland, but I don't have to sit back and say, right, Lord, you just revive in your own time. That's a damnable doctrine. Either that, we wouldn't be going into the school. Either that, we wouldn't be praying on Saturday nights. Either that, we wouldn't be crying for 34 years. It doesn't work like that. It was the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And Gideon with the lamps and the pitchers to face the Amal- Amalekites. Joshua. His men, his trumpets, will march round and blow the trumpet and march round and round and round seven days, round. They have to do something. They have to come down from Gilgal. They have to do and obey what God says for them to do. The fight is not theirs. The fight is the Lord's. Remember when they came to the grave of Lazarus? Remember Jesus said, roll ye away the stone. Do you think he couldn't have rolled the stone away? Roll ye away. He'll not do things that we can do. Roll ye away the stone. And they rolled away the stone. And then he said, he said, Lazarus, come forth. They couldn't say that, but he could. And he did say it. And he did do it. But then he said to them, loose them and let them go. He didn't loose them. We need to do what we are supposed to do and let the Lord do what he's supposed to do. Joshua here is a balanced man. He's a balanced man. And he moves out of the camp. He moves out from the camp. And he moves over towards Jericho. You see, he's moving out by faith. That's how the walls of Jericho come down, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, by faith. This man's moving out by faith on the word that the Lord has given down to the patriarchs and to himself. Just the same as Noah, my friend, he had to go and build the ark God said, build the ark. He had to do it. He had to work. Abram had to move out. Abram had to do the things. Joseph had to do the Moses had to do the things. He was a balanced man, this. And he was going to do his part. So he slips out of the camp and comes right up to the walls of Jericho. And I think this was at night, and I'm sure that he was on his own. In verse 13, you see this. He lifted up his eyes, and he looked. He lifted up his eyes, so his eyes must have been down. I wonder was he examining the foundations of the walls? Hmm. I wonder what he thinking, to, what do you think of the men, women, and children behind him? Thousands of, thousands and thousands of. He's a leader. He's out in front. He didn't know that this encounter was going to happen at this stage. So maybe he's thinking, I wonder if we could get around this side of it. We could put men around this side of it. We could we'll put, put a ladder up here. we're going to have to take them. How are we going to take them? Maybe he was looked down. Maybe he was looking down weeping. What an awful fortress before him. What an awful Jericho. Tell me this. Have you Jericho before you tonight? Is there walls and bars and gates tonight that you say, I can't do it? No, you can't. How, how are these men, women, and children going to bear These are wicked, demonic, possessed people. So what does he do? Well, look what he does. Verse 13, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold. Can I say this? That before the Lord appears, he always tests us. He'll bring us down to the very wire. And that's where Joshua is, in in the valley. He's up against it, and he can see the way out. Even though this is promised. God brought him down. The Lord will bring us down into the valley deep, my friend. To test us and to try us before. Before the door. Maybe it was when he saw this mighty fortress and these mighty walls and these mighty gates, and no end to the length of it. Maybe it was that the faith went down for a moment or two. And then. the man over against him, the sword drawn in his hand. Read but the sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went out him, and said unto him, I tell you he wasn't only a balanced man, he was a brilliant man. So near the blessing. A stranger stands before him with a sword drawn. Now the sword is out. He hasn't come to cook a meal for him, he hasn't come to wrestle with him as Jacob. He's come as the commander, Isaiah 55. He has come as the captain, Hebrews. He has come as the commander and the captain of the hosts of Israel. The whole host of heaven is with him. Can you imagine that what he years? He says, and the, and the captain of the Lord host said unto Joshua. church, and cherubims and angels, but no man can number all For their adversaries. See, as far as justice is concerned, there was only the two foes. There was that and the devil. There was them and the adversaries. We have an adversary tonight. He's our foe tonight, and his name is the devil. And he says to him, Are you with more than he against I tell you it takes courage and faith for a man to stand like that in an hour like that. situation he he was with Hagar whenever uh, he sent her back and gave her chil- the child and gave her the children who have suffered from it ever since
1: many mm-hmm. is a time
0: he has turned against the people of God over down to the years to teach some lessons and to instruct them regarding sin he's not coming out of that side here. He doesn't have to come out on any side. He says that I'm the Lord of hosts. I can go what I like, I can do with a like. I can say with a light. You obey me and listen to me and we'll take Jericho and we'll take the land if you do what you're told. And he said, and Joshua did so." at the end of verse 15. So he was balanced and he was brave. And he was good. Joshua fell on the face of the Holy to the earth. And did worship. That's what the Lord wanted to have. That's what the Lord wants to be in you. On our belly and down in the dust. Let me quote Nicholson here. Nicholson said, one time was that the dat er leuk op een koffie zien, maar niet meer. Fijt zoeken. Je gaat nog wel weer naar huis, maar je The, no, I'm not going to do this, he said. you just lie here, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be my souls. It's not going to be time in that long. It's not going to be second movie charts. I know, and he did it his way. The way nobody would have ever explained. mighty, mighty walls, and the, the walls fell down, should to have to climb over? No. God doesn't want us to climb over anything. If you read the scriptures right, I'm that the ground opened. And the fact, they found some of not want to go the walls and cherry go down under the earth. The ground opened and it leveled the ground. God doesn't expect us to climb up over anything. He just expects us to go and follow him in the way that He said. if you want victory tonight, if you want power tonight in your life, there's the remedy for that. You have the presence of God. You have the power of God. You have the word of God. We have it all here. And rather than saying to you, should go, and I'll never forget it. he says we're as spiritual as we want to be. Battle tonight the night and your struggle struggling the night, you've got to completely and utterly surrender to God and say, I'm done with this. be a mighty through the music, come sleep together in the one room at 2 o'clock or two, 3 o'clock, but not two, every morning through that one. And they got out and they prayed on the side of the bed and the bed shook the brothers. Here we should be all. Thank